podcast, Conversations As You Go, as we've been listening to Ralph Moore as he unfolds his journey towards movement. It's been a, a great privilege to have Ralph uh, join us as uh, one of the most uh, prolific uh, multipliers of church and uh, discipleship in America. And uh, he's, again, a voice we really need to listen to. Uh, in this podcast, we're discussing making disciples and the beginning of his move into small mini churches, as he calls them. And um, at the beginning of the podcast, he really talks about the discipleship paradigm, teaching people to listen to God, to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, and then be able to apply it. What are you going to do about that? And thirdly, how can we help you be on mission? Um, he really discusses the ideas of keeping it simple and having uh, uh, multiplying leaders through leadership training. I know when I was with Ralph in the uh, early 2000s, I listened to him as he shared stories of discipling guys, his future leaders, as they're changing oil in the car or as they read a book together, and it was really good. His journey of church and his view of church has changed. And uh, beginning from the, the church in a box kind of concept, the large church, to the micro church, the multiplication of churches, the idea of discipling people groups, finding a person of peace and, and building up from there. Interestingly, he discusses what is church and the idea of Christology, missiology and ecclesiology. These are kind of all Bible words, but they, they really mean start with Jesus see how he reached people, and then church emerges out of that. He develops a minimal ecclesiology. So I hope you really enjoy this podcast. It's worth listening to twice. I already have, and I've really appreciated what he's had to say. Enjoy Ralph Moore as we continue in our second podcast on building the church. I remember visiting you, Ralph, and... and, um Walking away in the in the two thousands um, uh, with two very clear um, things, a focus that you had. One was of uh, making disciples was the core of of any any activity of church planting, and then planting new uh, church, a redefinition of church, permission of thinking about church quite differently to established traditional churches, especially in the West. So I wonder if we can unfold that, those two concepts a little bit um, with you. Um, tell us a bit about making disciples and, um, and how that leads into then uh, microchurch, I think is the term that you use, um, or planting new, new groups. Um, yeah, t- talk to us about making disciples. Well, you know, uh, Jesus never told us to plant churches, and he never told us to make converts. He did tell us to make disciples. So starting from there, we pretty quickly came on the idea that the work of the church, meaning the people in the church, is to make disciples. And so that everything that we do runs through a filter of does this contribute to disciple making from the way that we approach evangelism in the marketplace? Because our fundamental belief from Acts 2 was that what we need is favor with the neighbors and the Lord to add to our numbers. Uh, so that evangelism isn't a church 
campus thing, we pray the little prayer with people, but we would always tell everybody when we're going to pray the prayer, you probably already accepted Christ last Tuesday or the week before that, or you wouldn't bother praying with me today. So we're going to pray just to kind of help, you know, drive a stake in the ground or something. But we we filtered out an awful lot of stuff because it there there wasn't a disciple making aspect to it. So a lot of 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 the 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 church dinners, a lot of the, I mean, I we we can see a reason for having food at church, but we and rather than having a banquet once or twice a year, uh, we we brought food out every every week before and after every church service, and we were doing church seven times a weekend. And so, uh, but the idea was we'll put the food there so you talk to each other so that it makes an opportunity for disciple making. And so that that was, so then as we begin to build out, we we started looking at, um, and, and this had started with a problem we had where we, and while I was still in California, we had uh, moved from the, the location that we were in, this small little church building to a gym and then we we got an old bowling alley and we remodeled it, made it into a church. And and when we did that, people who mostly had probably visited our church and didn't like to be associated with all those hippies, uh, suddenly we were we had a real uptown address, ocean view building, all that, and and we were acceptable. We even had a Rolls Royce in the parking lot, and uh, we doubled in attendance from four hundred to eight hundred on the weekend that we moved. And then we started shrinking and uh, we're down by, you know, we, we went from four to eight. Now we're at six and we started to be very frightened and we weren't making budget and all that. So we threw away our midweek prayer meeting and replaced it with seven home groups. And we had, um, we went from 85 people to over 360 people in one week in those home groups and you try to put 360 people in seven houses and you're in trouble. And we were with the police and all kinds of things. But then very quickly we had 12 houses and then 20 houses and it started to come under control. But we, we, when we built this, we decided that people are hearing uh, all kinds of messages on the radio all the time if they're, you know, into Jesus and what we wanted to do is drive one message home every week. So whatever is taught about on the weekend, whoever is teaching, uh, we're going to get together in the middle of the week and we're going to ask three questions. And the questions themselves are designed to help make disciples. We're not as interested in the data that came across the pulpit or whatever as we are in what is going on in people's lives. And so the first question was, when the person was speaking, what did you hear the Holy Spirit say? Because you might have just been daydreaming while the guy was talking, and the Holy Spirit spoke to you in the daydream. But we want to first teach you to listen to God. The second question was, what are you going to do about it? So now we want to teach you to, you know, it just becomes ingrained to not only obey the Lord, but to declare in front of your friends you're going to obey the Lord. So that there's a certain sort of an accountability that is part of the discipling process, is part of living a life that's that's you know in, lived in worship to the Lord. And then the third question 
which surprised us. Actually, the, the question didn't surprise us. The result did. The question was, how can we help you or pray for you? And what we begin to see was spiritual gifts uh, beginning to be exercised in the body of Christ. And so this, we called this whole process a disciple-making continuum. You, Someone brings you into Christ by discipling you into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, you're the, the, the access between the weekend and then whatever's going on in the, the what we called a mini church at the time is going to help bring you further along. But then it be, also began to be a training ground for us. If somebody had uh, our, our way of starting a new group was always the leader would leave, take somebody with them and go start a new group and, you know, put one of his disciples in his place or her place. And if we saw somebody start three groups, you know, always raising a disciple, raising a group, and then starting another, doing it over, then we would just simply ask them, would you pray about the possibility of planting a church? And we, and we didn't have any program. There was no recruitment other than a question, would you pray about this? And if they came back and said, yeah, I think God wants me to do this, then we'll take it from there. And and then part of this disciple-making continuum was our leadership training was where we gather in groups of five to eight of those mini-church leaders, and we ask the same three questions, only it's about a book that we're reading together, you know, as a, as a whole, the whole leadership base of our church. And so that was kind of how we did it. Our, our view of church, um, my view of church has changed. We, when we started churches, when I was a pastor, we were always aiming for and usually hitting 150 as a starting point. And, you know, four times we've given away 20% of our congregation on a Sunday. So we, we weren't afraid to dig deep. One Sunday, uh, we planted two churches and we gave away a quarter of our church, 25%. And, um, and we found the Lord always gave back to us. We, we would you know, almost immediately grow back the numbers. Uh, people were so excited about others going out the door that they'd kind of redouble their evangelism efforts and, and then, you know, it take a little longer to, you know, see the financial base come back and, and then a little longer yet to redevelop the leadership base. But we always uh, saw this work. I, I've come in by, I've backed into this business of what we call microchurch. I, uh, it's not my term. My friend Todd Wilson, who started Exponential, wrote a paper about microchurch and uh, he presented the paper and and at the end of the presentation, one guy kind of rained on all of our parade. And, um, and so I, Todd and I got together and, and decided I would write a book about this just to get the discussion on the table. Well, after writing the book, everybody saw me as the guru, although I really knew very little about what we would call microchurch. In fact, the book I wrote, it's for free on the Exponential website. It's called Mega Multi micro. And the idea is during the era of the megachurch in America for about 50 years, we kept shrinking in terms of the big C church, the overall church. We're losing our, we're not only losing numbers, we're losing our slice of the pie in terms of influence. And then, then everybody went to multi-site, which is just another way of adding, like having a bigger building. And they were doing video church and all that. 
and that didn't get the job done. And we think it's now time to go micro. And so in that book, I, I put the story of, I, I believe it's eight of my friends and it were, it was the only eight out of 2,600 churches we know of. I'm sure there's other micro churches out there, but, but I only knew of eight. And so I put all eight in the thing, but because of that, um, the podcasts and the webinars I do for exponential, I meet a lot of guys who are doing micro church networks and I'm learning a lot. So now I kind of am, you know, I know what I'm talking about at least. And so what, but what, what we're really proposing is that instead of starting a church with $500,000, which is what a lot of Americans are trying to do, which is awful. Uh, I, I actually talked to one young man who had raised a, a, a little over a million dollars to fund a church plant. And one year in, he's got 125 people and he's going, everything that I set out to do is wrong. And I don't want to build the biggest church in the world. I want to start a bunch of churches. I want to give away some of my people already, but the people who are funding me are mad at me because they are expecting thousands. And I'm, I'm wanting to start a hundred churches of a hundred people. So we begin to look at this micro thing. And the, the way that we see it is um, you, you look into the New Testament. People had to have been bivocational. I, I think when we start talking about bivocational, people use the word tent maker, that we don't look to Paul. Paul was a ministry guy who did tent making either as a financial fallback or as a way of getting into the community as a fallback. But, but it was a fallback. But who he went to work with, uh, well, it was, it was Aquila, who is a businessman who makes tents, who does ministry. And we see Aquila in, in one city twice and, and, and she's all together in three cities. He's in four different locations, four different moves in, in a time when people just didn't travel. He's all over the Mediterranean world and he's got money. And so we begin to, to, to kind of preach this gospel of get a, get a job, get a career, you know, take care of your family and start a church as a side hustle. And, and if the church wants to take your job away from you because there's now six or 700 people, that will be wonderful. But if the, if the church is ever, only ever 20 people and then you, you start eight more of them in your, in your life and with people just like yourself, that will also be wonderful. In fact, that might be better. And, and so we're not seeing micro church as smaller is better at all. We think smaller is better as a starting point. And we're not seeing micro church as an end. We're again, just seeing it as a starting point. And, you know, we, I kind of look at that in, in terms of a, a, a micro church that maybe grows into a hub that plants a bunch of spokes. Or some people are doing kind of a serial micro church where, you know, they'll leave one and go start another. Uh, I don't think that's as fruitful as the, the hub and spoke thing where there's, you know, one person that's a center and kind of a driver of all this. That's awesome. Um, I just really, really like the um, principles you've, you've got there of discipleship, which is listening, obeying, and uh, empowering people in their gifts Um Really fantastic, and um, the idea of uh, church um, being planted by 
everybody uh, able to, to do that. Um, at the core, um, what do you think are some of the essentials of a New Testament church that we need to be adopting, especially in Western culture? Well, I'm going to quote a friend of mine. I, I, I have a friend named Brian Sanders who leads something called the Tampa Underground in Tampa, Florida. And Brian was a, a led the, the most successful Young Life group in the history of Young Life and was frustrated. His, his students were coming up out of school and then walking away from the Lord. And he did everything he could to try to integrate them into churches. And the churches didn't cooperate very fully, and neither did the students. And so in frustration, they tried to start a church. I believe it, it, that was a struggle. They went to Manila, Metro Manila, and they, 30 people, including some children, they lived there for a year. And they asked people in the, the poorest parts of Manila to teach us how to pastor. So they go to past, pastors in difficult neighborhoods, extremely difficult neighborhoods, and they learn what flies. They come back to Florida, and, and they, they choose a difficult part of town, an underprivileged part of town, and they begin to do church. But it looks more like Acts 2 in houses than anything else. And now there's over 200 of these, what they call microchurches, although some of them have 60 or 70 people in them. And... Um, and, and so Brian has, has written a number of books. I think the, the most recent and perhaps the best is called Microchurches, A Smaller Way. And you, if you show up on Sunday, because they do have a Sunday meeting, you're not welcome. You're only welcome if you're leading a microchurch. The Sunday thing is an equipping session for the microchurch leaders. So you don't walk into the, they, they rent some space in a, in a broken down shopping center. Uh, you you are are brought into the microchurch, no advertising, no marketing, no nothing, only people evangelizing their friends. And the, the microchurches are, I, I, there's two that I like to, to describe because they're so unusual. They, they make people think. Uh, one is called the hula hoop microchurch. It turns out that there are still people in America that are into this hula hoop craze that, you know, I, I got over <laughs> in 1956. Wow. Um, but they, they do hula hoop contests. And so this, I mean, Brian says this, the lady comes to him and says, I want, is it okay if I start a hula hoop micro church? And he's going, what? And, uh, but th- th- these young girls compete doing tricks with hula hoops. And this lady is in the circuit. She's one of the competition. So she starts doing Bible studies with these kids. And pretty soon there's like dozens of young girls in hula hoop microchurches. And the glue, and this is the thing I want to say that's hard to communicate to a lot of people. Jesus said to make disciples of the nations. But the word that we see in the Greek New Testament is ethne. And it doesn't mean the color of your skin. It means people groups. And, you know, in the New Testament, you don't read a whole lot about race. You know, you see Simon, who's from Niger in Acts 13. Uh, you, 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 you see types of people, slaves, publicans. You know, they're, they're identified as people groups 
other than the way that we identify people by race. And so I'm looking at people groups. So here are hula hoop people. Uh, down the road at a, at a tattoo parlor, there's all the people who hang out at the tattoo parlor all the time. That's a little people group. I, I was, a, you know, I, I surfed a lot, but I would never say I'm a surfer. I was always a wannabe surfer because I was never very good. But I identified with that surfing, you know, it, that was my culture in California and in Hawaii, an, another people group. And so one of the things that Brian and company are doing really, really well is invading different people groups. They find a person of peace in that people group, and then they build out from there. Another group that they have, and I can't remember what it's called, but the name of it is about as goofy as what I'm going to say here. It's it's the microchurch for to keep young black girls from getting into drugs or getting pregnant. And it's led by a 60-something-year-old African-American woman with a passion for young black girls. And she, and she has maybe 50 some odd kids in this thing that she's doing. So I see this microchurch thing as pretty phenomenal. But in, in talking about this, there's a couple things that my friend Brian says that really uh, stack up really well with me. He says that we, we need to have first Christology, we got to have it right, our theology of, of Jesus. After that, we need to establish our missiology. How does the Great Commission work where I live and work and play? And then after that, we can have ecclesiology. And most churches put ecclesiology first. In fact, I, I have a friend who I love dearly, and I can't be with him without having an argument about whether or not women should be in ministry because his ecclesiology says they shouldn't, and mine says they, they can or should. And um, that that discussion is way too important to way too many people. They've, they've made for certain, and, and you can mix this up, you can put missiology first over Christology, and you'll get a different kind of a goofy thing. But if you if you make your church polity, more important than what you believe about people and their relationship about Jesus with Jesus, you probably never will demonstrate love, acceptance, and forgiveness in your church because you're going to always be about the rules because your ecclesiology, however you built it or however you inherited it, is going to trump everything. It's going to trump effective evangelism because of Christology, and it's going to trump effective church multiplication because missiology is, is is a step down. So Christology, missiology, then ecclesiology. Once once we really get it right with Jesus and we start to obey him in terms of mission, then we're going to figure out how to do church. And it'll be different in Bangalore than it is in Ulaanbaatar than it is in Atlanta. And then the other thing that Brian says that really gets my attention is that you need to define a church uh, by by these three elements. If you, if there if any is lacking, you're not really a church. And so it's it's worship, it's communion, and it's mission. And so I can take you to some and 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 worship being defined by Romans twelve present present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a song service. 
And so if, if you're lacking worship, mission, communion, um, you, you really are not something you could call church. So I could take you to, uh, six miles from my house, a very, very large gathering of people, 4,500 people every weekend that call themselves a church. But when you walk in the door, they shake your hand and say, welcome to such and such. And actually, they'll shake your hand as you walk onto the church property. They'll shake your hand again as you walk into the parking lot. If you parked in the street, they'll shake your hand again as you enter the, the, the foyer of the building. And then they'll shake your hand a fourth time when you enter the auditorium. Every single time, they'll say the same thing. Welcome to such and such church. And then nobody talks to you for the whole time that you're there. And I attended there right after I moved to California from Hawaii. And I'm in this church in Hawaii where everybody's real huggy and tons of fellowship and disciple making. And and I'm in this very sterile environment. And I had, I always make jokes because it's true. I had just come two weeks before from a Bob Dylan concert in Honolulu. And the only difference that I could see in that that crowd from this crowd is that the crowd in the thing in California lacked the smell of marijuana smoke in the air. Um, <laughs> because these people, just like at the Dylan concert, they didn't talk to each other going in the building. They didn't talk to each other in the building. And they didn't talk to each other on their way out of the building to get in their cars. And so there's no communion. So when we talk about what well, we use this term minimal ecclesiology, uh, our minimal ecclesiology is these three elements, worship, mission, communion. If, and, and so people will kind of come at us with, well, what are you, you're trying to get away with the, the, the least you can get away with. No, we actually have set a very high standard that a lot of mega churches um, or mega organizations, I will say, wouldn't qualify to call themselves a church because there's a lot of groups that are very attractional. They have a big crowd of great music, whatever. Uh, they're not missional at all, or there's no community going on for 85% of the people in the group. And so I, I think that if you have those three elements, again, I'm going to say worship and put it in this order, worshipful life, communion among the members, and mission. Everybody has something that we're doing to serve the Lord away from our group. And if you have those and you have two or three gathered in Jesus' name, then I think you're a church. And, you know, when I I get in trouble with my own friends, when I reduce the numbers down to two or three, uh, one guy even got after me and said, well, when you have a, a, a group that small, how do you have an elder board? <laughs> well, you show me an elder board in the Bible and I'll, you know, we'll talk about it. But um, I, someone came to me one w- week in Hawaii, probably, I probably had been there for less than two months. And we had been for years and, and we continued it in Hawaii. This is so long ago that it was audio cassettes. Uh, we had a ministry called Tapes by Mail. And we would just send out the sermon to anybody who wanted it. If you signed up for Tapes by Mail, We'd give it to you for free. We'd cover the costs, and we'd, we'd, so we'd mail them around the world, hundreds of them, every week. And somebody comes to me, and, and I never met before, and they go, I'm from your church in Antarctica. And I go, what? 
And they go, yeah, you preach every week in, in Antarctica. I, I work in this research station in Antarctica. There's eight people, and we get together every week, and 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 we worship together, and we take communion, and, and we listen to you preach. Uh, so I'm from your church in Antarctica. And to me, that was a cute joke. Uh, I, I mean, it was real, but it was to me, it was just a story to tell. Looking back, I, I I don't think you need tapes of Ralph Moore. I, I do think if you have uh, worship, community, and, and mission, that you're a church, and we should acknowledge that. And and that's not that's not trying to oh let's have a lot of really tiny churches. That's just let's look at what the Holy Spirit's doing and say yes. Hmm. Yeah, awesome. I really appreciate some of these reflections and you know as we as we focus on um you talked about bivocational people talked about personal peace and uh, people acting as hubs and multiplying hubs and uh you know what is church the di- many many different expressions that that could look like when you're talking about different you know the hula hoop church and the the uh, the Tampa Armed Ground, which we we also have observed and love as well, um, and uh, yeah, person of peace. But now you finished there on on uh, Christology, missiology, ecclesia. You know, focus on Jesus, how he did mission, and uh, letting church emerge out of that. 